So back in the uh, 1800s, there was a man who lived by the name of Alfred Nobel. Um, some of you may have heard of him. He was a Swedish gentleman. And uh, a rather unique thing happened to Mr. Nobel. About halfway through his life, his brother passed away. And um, news kind of spread of his brother passing away. And one newspaper in France actually misunderstood the announcement and thought that Alfred Nobel himself had passed away. So uh, Nobel wakes up one morning to discover that there is a French newspaper that has written the obituary of his own life. So uh, it doesn't normally happen to any of us. I hope you don't wake up one morning and uh, read an obituary of your life and uh, wonder why no one's let you know that you're dead. But um, what shocked him the most was what was written in this obituary. You see, Alfred Nobel uh, was an inventor. He'd invented a lot of different things, but one of the things he discovered was that um, there was a product called nitroglycerine that was an explosive chemical liquid, and uh, he found a way to mix nitroglycerine with sand and earth and make it a little bit more stable and pack it together to make sticks of what we know now of dynamite. And it was Alfred Nobel who invented dynamite. So in his obituary, as he read on, This is what it said of Alfred Nobel. It condemned him for his invention of dynamite and referred to him as a merchant of death who had grown rich by developing new ways to mutilate and kill. Can you imagine that, reading your obituary and realizing that one day when I do die, that is how I'll be remembered, as a merchant of death, someone who discovered new ways to mutilate and kill. And it was kind of sad, really, because... um, Nobel had invented this as a a product that would be helpful. As you know, dynamite isn't just used in warfare. Dynamite can be used in quarries and in mining and for creating trenches, for canals. And one stick of dynamite can do the work of dozens of men over dozens of hours. But sadly, his invention was taken and it was used um, for more nefarious purposes. But at that point in his life, Alfred Nobel thought, you know, I don't want that to be how I'll be remembered. I don't want my legacy to be that I was the person who who basically was profiting off people's mutilation and death. So at that point, he had a chance to change the course of the direction of his life. He had the opportunity to hit the reset button and say, you know, I want to change the way things are moving forward. So as you well know, you probably are more familiar with Alfred Nobel as as what he came up with. He decided to devote all of his time and the remainder of his life, all of his vast wealth that he'd accumulated for his inventions, to put together what has now become known as the Nobel Prize. It was a prize that was going to be awarded to people for their advancements in different fields, in particular physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, more recently economics, but probably most famous the Nobel Peace Prize. So the man who discovered that early on in his life was going to be remembered as the author of death and destruction is now remembered today as somebody who gave us the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, we're in this series, If... And um, if you were here last week, you'll have heard as we kind of kicked off and we did like an introduction to the series that this word, if, it's a very small word. It's just two letters, but for a two-letter word, it has some huge implications. The word if can be used in a lot of different contexts. If only, what if, no ifs, ands, and buts. But this morning, I want to focus in on just the idea of those two words, if only. If only, if only I'd have done this differently, if only 
If only I hadn't been remembered as the inventor of something that killed and destroyed. If is a word that's kind of synonymous when we think of it as if only with regrets. You see, Nobel, he was probably more fortunate than any of us. He got to get a glimpse of his lifetime's legacy, and he still had time to change things for the remainder of his life. But not all of us are that fortunate, aren't we? Not all of us are able to fast forward to the end of our lives and read our obituaries. So this morning, I'm hoping that we can step back and take a look at our lives, and in particular, maybe some of those regrets, maybe some of the if-only moments Maybe we can take stock this morning to see how they happened, to see how they shaped us. And, and more importantly, what are we doing to move past those if-only moments, some of those regrets in our lives? I don't want any of us to get to the end of our lives and look back with regret at what could have been. Like Nobel, he had the chance to change things. And maybe this morning we'll, we'll think through this and we have the chance to change some things too. You see, all of us will have regrets. That's just life. No matter what, if you get up out of bed each morning and you go about your life, there will be some things that will cause some regrets. Maybe you've purchased something. Maybe you bought that brand new iPhone and within a day of using it, it just didn't bring you the happiness that Apple promised you it would. And you got a little bit of regret. Maybe it was um, some exercise equipment. Maybe you're here this morning and your basement is full of machines and ab rollers and all these things that you kind of look back now and regret having spent all that money on because it's just basically gathering dust and being used to hang laundry on in the basement. And, and there are some regrets. We, we call that buyer's remorse when you buy something and, and in a very short time you're already regretting uh, that particular purchase. Maybe this morning, like me, you, you deal with food regrets. Anyone deal with food regrets? Yeah, I, I, all the time. So, and here's how food regrets play out in my life. So there are several restaurants that my family and I eat at regularly. And um, inevitably, when I'm at these restaurants, I will always order the same thing. Always. If I go to Chili's, Cajun chicken pasta. Every time. That's, that's just my go-to dinner there. I love it, okay? And here's why I always order that, because every now and then, I'll order something different. And as soon as it arrives and I take a bite, I'm regretting it. I'm like, oh, I should have gone with the chicken pasta. I know I like that. It's my favorite. Why am I eating this cheeseburger? That's, I should, and, and I get this regret. But where my food regrets play out even more are when I go to a restaurant that I've never been to before. Very first time at a restaurant, and I'm, I'm looking at this menu, and I'm just overwhelmed by all the choices, and, and I can't decide what to order, and then inevitably the waitress will show up, and I'm not ready, and she's like, you guys ready to take your order? I was like, start with them, and hopefully by the time you get to me, I'll have decided, and I've never decided, even when she does get to me, and, and then I'm under pressure, and I'm like, I'll get this. And then I kind of wait, and then it happens every time. Everyone's meal arrives, and mine's here, and I look across, and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd ordered that. That looks really good. Look, oh, this is all right, but what you got? And, and instantly I regret my, my order. Food regrets, shopping regrets. We, we all face these different kind of regrets, don't we? I know I've milked this a lot, but for those who don't know, last December I was down in Florida. I was with my son, and uh, it was December but it was Florida, so you've got to go to the beach in Florida, okay? You've got to go to the beach in December, and there was a small pier there, and I had the opportunity to jump from the pier into the ocean, and obviously back here it was freezing cold, so I wanted to be in the ocean in Florida, so I jumped in, and this water, it turns out, wasn't as deep as I thought it was, and in an instant, I broke my ankle, 
a split-second decision led to three months of me sitting on the couch and wheeling around on this little knee scooter thing and constantly regretting, oh, why did I do that? Living with that regret every moment, playing through that moment in my mind of what I could have done differently. If only, if only I'd have done this, I wouldn't be stuck with this. You see, whether you're a Christ follower this morning or whether you're just kind of checking things out and, and exploring this, all of us can face situations in our life, regrets, if onlys, if only I hadn't done that. We can look back on our lives, and I'm not talking about the food regrets or the shopping regrets. I'm talking about some of those bigger regrets where, where we don't really think about it much, but when we do pause and we go back to that moment, we're just filled with all that remorse and the, that if only I hadn't have done that, or if only I'd have done something different, if only I'd have listened to the advice that person gave me. Very often when we take those wrong steps, when we do those things wrong, the things that lead to the the biggest regrets in our life, very often they can have an impact on other people as well. They can hurt loved ones around us. But whether they hurt others or not, they will always have some kind of consequence in our lives, very often hurting us. The Bible talks about these actions that can bring pain to others and pain to ourselves, and it uses a word called sin, Sin are the things that we do that go against who God created us to be and what he created us to do. I believe God created us to live these wonderful lives and he set these, these boundaries in place for our protection. And when we step outside of those boundaries, the Bible calls that sin. And very often, at the time, it may feel right. At the time, it may feel like a good idea. But very often, we look back in the rearview mirror and we think, if only I hadn't done that. We're filled with those regrets. In fact, I think if we were to look back on some of those moments of our lives, regret would be a word that we could use to describe them, but very often other words pop into our minds, words like guilt and shame. Maybe this morning as I'm talking about those if-only moments, some of that guilt and shame is kind of calling out a little bit in the back of your mind. So what should we do with this? Especially this morning if we're followers of Jesus. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we put that behind us where it belongs? How do we shake off that guilt, that shame, those, those regrets, those if-only moments? How do we step beyond those? Well, the first thing we need to do in order to understand how to, how to get ahead, how to move forward from some of those if-only moments is we need to understand this morning the difference between two words, and those two words are conviction and condemnation. Conviction and condemnation. One of the things I want us to kind of learn this morning, if possible, before we leave, as we're thinking about regrets and those if-only moments, is the idea between these two kind of similar words, but very different applications in our lives. You see, conviction, conviction is not a bad thing. If you were here this morning and you were having pain in your knee and it had been going on for a while, I would recommend you go and see a doctor. Go and see a doctor, get it checked out, find out what's causing that pain, and and hopefully get some kind of resolution, hopefully fix the problem. That's what conviction is in our lives. When we're dealing with the pain of of a regret or some guilt or some shame over an action that we did, and an if-only moment, if only I hadn't have done that, if only I'd done something different, and the pain that brings, that's conviction. I believe God allows that conviction to come, just like pain in a part of your body, to, to, to inspire you to do something about it. 
If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the, the thing we do when we, we feel that conviction of knowing we've done something wrong is to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Turn to a God who loves us so much and just ask him to forgive us for the mistake that we made. That's, that's conviction. And that's a good thing. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But before we do, I want to just show you how that compares to the word condemnation. You see, condemnation, that's not from God. I actually believe that condemnation comes from the, the very enemy of God, the devil himself. And condemnation, although it has the same connotation to, to remind you of the pain, it then just pours guilt and, and, and it just shows you that this pain and blame. and It's a very different feeling than conviction. And condemnation is not from God. Last week, we, we introduced a series and we said that throughout this whole series, four or five weeks as we talk about this little word, if, we're going to look at this word every week through the lens of, of one chapter in the Bible, one chapter, Romans chapter eight. It's this wonderful chapter where Paul is writing to the people in the city of Rome and he's explaining to them who God is and how much he loves them. These are people um, who we know as Gentiles. They didn't grow up in the Jewish tradition, but Jesus died for them just like he died for you and me and that he died for the Jewish people. And, and now it was the gospel for the whole world and Paul wants them to understand the power of who Jesus was and what he did for them and right there in the middle is Romans chapter 8 where it's full of this this wonderful stuff but the very first verse of Romans chapter 8 Paul says so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus if you're here this morning and you would identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, you belong to Christ Jesus, then all those if-only moments, all those regrets, all those things in the past, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Conviction, that's God's loving way of leading us towards him to, to making some changes, to dealing with those if-only regrets, but there is no condemnation when it comes to God through Christ Jesus. So when it comes to conviction, all those if-only regrets, all those things that bring you guilt and shame, all those things you wish you could do over, those sins that we try to, to make up for by trying to be good enough or the effort we try to make to not do wrong and, and just try to do as few things wrong as possible or as do as many things right as possible and yet always seem to fall short, always seem to make mistakes. God knows this. God understands you and God understands me and he knows that we'll never be good enough. We'll never be able to do enough things right. We'll never be able to not do enough things wrong. So he realized that the only hope for us was that he provide the solution. And this is so important for us to understand because this settles the if-onlys in our life. This deals with the regrets and the guilt and the shame. God provided the solution to take care of the if-onlys in our life. Paul explains how he did that in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He says this, he says, For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Man, I wish I could spend all morning just talking on this one verse alone because it is such a powerful, full of um, important information verse that God sent Christ, his only son, who never did any wrong to be the offering for us, to be in our place who we did do wrong. So that we could be made right. That was the only way we could be made right with God through Christ. 
So if you're here this morning and there are any if only regrets in your life, God sent Jesus to take care of those for you. God sent Jesus so that he could take care of the mess that we'll never be able to take care of ourselves. And then, if we choose to step into a relationship with Jesus, if we choose to make Jesus the Lord of our lives and and accept that God did that for us, and in response, we're going to do something for him. If we choose to do that, listen to what Paul says takes place in 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone, you, me, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. I love this verse because, you know, it doesn't say um, who, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a better person or anyone who becomes, belongs to Christ has become a slightly more improved person. It says they've become a new person. We need to understand that this morning, that God's saying to us this morning, as followers of Jesus, we have become a new person. And that resolves a lot of things. Let me explain um, in a practical way what that looks like. So um, at my house, there's my wife and I. We've got three kids, two cats, okay? But that's not all that make, that's made up of the Jane household, okay? There's a few other people I'd like to introduce you to this morning who make up the Jane household. So we've got Alexa. She lives with us. We talk to her a lot, okay? Um, Siri uh, hangs out of the Jane household. We spend a lot of time talking to Siri. Even Google Mini. We talk to Google Mini at our house. I mean, we've, we've got every base covered, you know, at different spots throughout the house. So um, all these devices are attached to our wireless network, and they all are just... Huge parts of the family. We talk to them all the time. Emma, uh, she has a little Alexa in her bedroom, and uh, every night before she goes to bed, she says, Alexa, set an alarm for 7 o'clock and wake me up to Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. And invariably, at 7 o'clock the next morning, on comes Taylor Swift singing Shake It Off. Now, the problem is, Emma's normally up before 7, so she's downstairs eating breakfast, and the entire house is woken at 7 o'clock to Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. She's singing away in the bedroom. We're like, Alexa, Stop! (laughs) I talk to Google. Google, turn on Dave's lamp. And Dave's lamp gets turned on. And Google says to me, the Dave's lamp is on. And I say, yes, it is. (laughs) The Dave's lamp. Well done, Google. Will's our musician. He's our uh, middle son, and he loves music. So I'm always hearing him, hey, Siri, what's this song? Siri, who sings this song? He's, he'll hear a song on the radio, or he'll, and he wants to know who it's by, so he'll talk to his phone, and then the phone says, that's a song by blah, blah, blah. So, there is a point to why I'm telling this story. Uh, recently, we had to replace our wireless router in our house. So, where the internet comes in, this sends the Wi-Fi throughout the house. We had to replace it. And that was pretty simple. Everything went well. But I found that right after that, none of the devices were working anymore. The lamps weren't going on. We're like, Google, turn on the lamps. I can't find the lamps. We're like, Google, it's right there. I can see it. Turn on the lamp. I don't find the lamp. And it was just chaos. Now, I know this is kind of a first world problem. I mean, I know there are greater problems in the world than this. But for Dave Jane, for a day, this was like chaotic. I mean, nothing was working the way it should be working. So I'm unplugging things, and I'm plugging them back in, and I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, and I can't work out why none of it's working. So I start doing a bit of research, and I find out that the problem is all the old settings were still saved in these devices. So do you know what I had to do? Factory reset. I had to find buttons to push with paper clips, and I had to hold buttons for 15 seconds, and I had to wipe everything clean and start over. And now everything works great. Lamps are on, music's playing, alarms are going off. 
but it took a factory reset. And this verse, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's a factory reset. That's what God did for you and me. He didn't just gloss over some of the old rubbish from the past. He didn't just scrape it to the side. It's a brand new, all the old settings have gone and the new have begun. And that's important to know because when it comes to those if only regrets, God has put those behind us. Here's the challenge. When we choose to be a follower of Jesus, he forgives us for all those regrets, all those if only moments. And he forgets them. The problem is condemnation is us not forgetting them. Us holding on to them. Us refusing to believe that we've truly been forgiven. But God has completely forgiven us. You know, there are two great words. You hear these words probably more in church than than anywhere else, but they are mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. And listen to the definition of these two words. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Our sin, our wrongdoings, the things we've messed up, all the failures, we deserve punishment. We deserve guilt. But mercy, God's mercy, means that we don't get what we deserve. On top of that, through grace, we get what we don't deserve. Despite our shortcomings and our failures, we get God's unconditional love and acceptance for us all. And the hard thing is that some of us find it hard to to grasp that mercy and grace because we've moved away from conviction and into condemnation. And we're holding on to the regrets and we're holding on to some of those if-onlys of the past. And God's saying, it's time to let them go. It's time to let them go. Because you need to know this morning, that condemnation is not from God that condemnation is not from God this morning there's a uh, a great verse in the Bible it's John 3 16 it's a very famous verse it was um, uh, particularly made famous a few years back in uh, December of 2009 during the football national championships there was a University of Florida quarterback by the name of Tim, Tim Tebow. You may have heard of him. And uh, after the game, he was being interviewed, and everyone could see on his face, he had these two lines, and it said, John 3.16. Do you know, the most Googled question that day is, what is John 3.16? 94 million people Googled that verse to figure out what it meant. Because <laughs> so many people had seen him on TV and didn't know what this was. It's actually a very famous verse in the Bible written by John in, in his account of the life of Jesus. And, and it is a great verse. And you may be familiar with that verse this morning. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it's a great verse to have up there on banners and on your face at sports events, because if you're only going to read one verse in the Bible, this is a great verse to read, because it just about sums it all up. It says, God loves you and me so much that he sent Jesus, his Son, to die in our place, so that we won't perish, but we can have eternal life through Jesus. That's a, that's a great verse. Here's the problem, though. It's just one verse. When John was speaking, he didn't stop and say, that's the end of verse 16. Hey, here's another thought. We'll call this one verse 17. 
There's one continuous phrase. The verses are there to help us find them. But actually, John didn't stop at the end where it says everlasting or eternal life. Listen to what John went on to say. God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think that's just as important as John 3.16. That we understand that Jesus didn't come here to condemn us, but to save us. That's why it's so important that, that we understand the difference between this word conviction and condemnation. Because not only does it impact um, who we are, it impacts our view of God. There are many people that because they can't escape that idea of condemnation, they kind of, it skewers their view because they imagine this, this God who's just out to condemn and judge and, and is angry all of the time. Some of you may remember, this was several years ago, there was a famous cartoonist who wrote the Far Side cartoons. Anyone remember the Far Side cartoons? This one was always one of my favorites. It's God sitting at his computer. And on the screen, you can see this little uh, innocent guy walking under a piano on a rope. And uh, God has several commands he can press on his computer. And the one he's about to hit is smite. That God has a smite button on his computer keyboard. And every time he hits it, pianos fall and, and uh, bad things happen. That's not God. It's a comical cartoon, but... But if we believe in this idea that God is just to condemn, then we'll fall into this trap of believing that smite, 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 that's all he's out to do. Conviction is being aware of where we've done wrong and going to a loving God and saying, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. Confessing and asking him to forgive us. And he forgives us. When we confess, when we say, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done, he forgives and he forgets. Condemnation is then us refusing to let go and just piling on the guilt and the shame and the regrets. Here's the thing about saying sorry. The Bible has a word for this. It's called repentance. When you repent and when you say sorry for what I've done, repentance is me owning my sin so that my sin doesn't own me. I came across this phrase this week. I love it. Repentance is me owning the sin so that the sin doesn't end up owning me. Saying, God, I'm sorry I repent, I put it behind me. Here's the big difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin. Condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. If there's unconfessed sin, there's things you've done wrong, and then, then that conviction leads you to come to a point saying, God, I'm sorry, I want to make things right. But if you've done that, condemnation is just making you feel guilty over something you've already taken care of. So when it comes to that idea of if only, I don't want us to be caught looking back at all those moments in our life. The things we messed up in, the regrets, the, the decisions we wish we could go back and do differently. And stay stuck there. If we're going to move forward in this if series, we're going to need to come to a point of saying, God, I'm sorry about what happened there. Now I want to move forward. I want to keep that in the past where it belongs, and I don't want that, if only, to hinder me from stepping into the wonderful plan that you have for my life. You know, here's another idea that I'd be remiss for not talking about in this idea of if only, because the tendency is, when we look at this phrase, if only, is to look back at all the regrets of all the things we did wrong. And that's, that's good to do that, but I don't think it stops there. 
the idea of regrets and, and if-onlys. You see, Mark Batterson is an author and a pastor, and he wrote the book, If, that we're basing this series on. And he says this, he talks about the idea of if-only not being something that's just something about the past, but actually can be about your future as well. He said, at the end of your life, your greatest regrets won't be the things you did, but wish you hadn't. Your greatest regret will be the things you didn't do, but wish you had. It's the what-if dreams that we never act upon that turn into if-only regrets. He explains it this way. He talks about a study that was done once by a couple of um, social psychologists. The name was uh, Tim Gilovich and Vicky Medevec. And they did this research to, to just kind of prove that time is a key factor in what we regret. So what they did was they interviewed a group of younger people. And um, of this group of younger people, they asked them about things that they regretted in their life. And what they found was it was about a 50-50 split. It was actually 53 to 47% who um, regretted things that they'd done in the past versus things they wish they'd done and they didn't. About half and half. But then they did the same interview with an older group of people, people who are towards the end of their lives. They said, what do you regret more? Do you regret the things you did wrong that you could wish you could go back and, and undo and do differently? Or do you regret the things you didn't do that you wish you could have done instead? This time, towards the end of their lives, 84% to 16. 84% were far more regretful over the things they wished they'd done than the things they did when it came to regrets. So you know what I learned from this? I learned that there is an 84% chance that I could have got to the end of my life and regretted not jumping off that pier because I didn't do it. But I did. And I won't regret it. Well, I guess I won't regret it in my life. I regretted it then. But that's an interesting thought, isn't it? We talk about these if-only regrets and we tend to think of the things we did in the past. But what if, if only, what if like Alfred Nobel, he'd never got to read that obituary and then one day got to the end of his life and realized looking back, man, the only thing I'm ever going to be remembered for is killing and mutilating. I wish I could go back and do something different. I wish I could go back and, and do something more productive, maybe come up with a, um, a prize that could be awarded. And he was fortunate. He got to do that. I don't want to get to the end of my life and the if-only regrets not be the things I did, but the things I didn't do. You know, we talk about sin. The Bible talks about the wrong things we do. But do you know there's a sin of commission and then a sin of omission? Sins of commission are when we do something wrong and we know that we, we shouldn't have done that and we ask God to forgive us because we know that what we just did was wrong. But, but the sin of omission is when we take a look inside and realize, you know what? In that moment, I had the opportunity to do the right thing and I didn't. For whatever reason, I chose not to do what was right in that moment. And that study leads us to believe that when it comes to the end of our lives we'll be more focused on those things we should have done and we didn't than the things we did and wish we didn't. We fixate on sins of commission far too much. We practice holiness by subtraction. Don't do this, don't do that, and I'll be okay. But the problem is, you can find yourself in a place where you can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. I don't want to be in a place where I didn't do anything wrong, but I also didn't do anything right. So as we close the chapter today of this if-only idea, 
and step into the next coming weeks of what if and the potential and the dreams that God has put inside of us. I hope that this idea of never living with a regret that I didn't do something, that I didn't change the direction my life was going, that I didn't start that group I felt like I was meant to be starting, that I didn't um, leave my job and start that new company, or whatever it may be, that you feel maybe God's put this inside of me for this step of my life, this phase of my life. That we don't get to that point and have that if only regret that we could have done it. Let me share one last story to close this morning. So, as we've been talking about these if only regrets, I'm sure that some of you may have gone back to a time in your life and maybe something you did and, and you're thinking, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I could go back and change that. Maybe there's still some pain that's associated with that decision or what happened back then. If only I could have done something different. If only in that moment I'd have known what to do. If only in that moment I'd have done this instead of that. And you know that as far as God's concerned, if there was any wrongdoing at that time, you can ask of him to forgive you and you're forgiven and, and you've moved on from there and as long as you're not piling condemnation on, you're good. But still, when you go back to that moment, it still brings back that pain. So I had a friend who's a pastor and soon after he got married, his wife found out she had cancer and they went on this long journey over months and almost a year as she was having treatments and chemotherapy and all this kind of thing. It was just a really difficult time for them as a family. But she came through it and still to this day she's in remission. But he tells a story of how he got a call one day from another friend of his who was a pastor and in the course of the conversation this friend of his said, you know, I've just found out my daughter's got leukemia. We just don't know what to do. We're, we're at our wit's end. We're just at a loss. He said, I'm praying. I'm asking God to, to heal her. I'm asking God for a miracle. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, how could this have happened? Why would you let this happen? He says, I'll be honest with you. He said, we're battling with the pain of this situation. This friend of mine said, I'm going to tell you what someone once told me. And at the time, I found it hard to understand. But now, afterwards, I get it. So I'm going to tell you it in the hope that you get it now. But even if you don't, there'll come a time when you will. He says, what I've come to learn is that God never wastes pain. God never wastes pain. What you've been through, what, what you went through, God can take that and God can use that in the future. God can use that. God can use your story. God can use what you went through to help others. Maybe that pain is because of something you did that you wish you hadn't have done. You wish you could turn back time. You wish you could go back and undo what you did, but it's done and it can never be undone. And people were hurt because of it and maybe you were hurt because of it and, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Now God wants you to know you are forgiven today, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But he also wants you to know that there's never any waste of the pain and maybe your story, maybe your situation, God will now be able to use to help someone else. Maybe you'll find yourself over a cup of coffee saying, listen, I was there. I did what you're thinking of doing and if I could go back, I would change it because I regret it so much. Learn from me. Don't make the same mistake I did. God can even take the pain associated with our regrets and the things that happened that were outside of our control. He can even take that pain and use it to help others if we'll allow him. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, and 
God, I know you've got an exciting plan for everyone in this room. You've got potential just wrapped up in all of us of what you want to do in our lives. I believe, God, that there is an enemy who despises us, who looks at us and sees God in us and despises us and wants to do all that he can to bring us down. Condemnation is a tool that he uses way too often because he knows that very often that condemnation will just keep us stuck in the same spot, living in those if-only moments of regret and robbing us from the wonderful what-if potential that you've put inside of us. So God, I pray that every one of us this morning will be able to shake off the if-onlys and move forward, move into what you have for us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.